Matt Hoffman. Mr. Hunt. Yeah. Good day, sir. Yes, sir. Good day to you. Yeah. Uh, tell everybody where you're from. Oh, let's see. My origin was born April 11th, 1986 in a small town called Lincolnton, North Carolina. It's about 45 minutes from Charlotte, so it's kind of a little bit south of Hickory, so right around in that area, the foothills. Yeah. 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 Uh, I was born there. Close enough to Charlotte that that was part of your... No, I was was super young, so we moved to Clinton which is kind of between here and there, uh, here in Wilmington and Lincoln, closer to Wilmington. But we moved to Clinton. I remember I remember having my seventh birthday party in Clinton. Much prior to that, I don't I have a few childhood memories, but not a bunch. It's it's weird. I've dug for this and I've looked through my family has a big thing where every Thanksgiving, every Christmas we play old home videos. They've yeah. all been digitized. It's really cool. <coughs> Me and my sisters have obviously seen them a million times. So have our fiancés and our spouses and all that good stuff by now. They're all spouses now. But we still watch them all the time for our kids. Yeah. It's, it's really cool. So they'll be playing the home videos and that kind of thing, and I'll see you know, I'll see what Pops used to tape and stuff like that, and I just I can't remember it very well. I remember snippets, but my memory is kind of very, very vague past yeah. there. But then, uh, like I said, I remember my seventh birthday in Clinton, and then some things along the way, but I had a couple of couple of near death experiences prior to seven years old, so I remember those very much. So yeah, uh, <laughs> that's big. <laughs> yeah, so um, I remember those for sure, uh, just those instances, but not much, um, not much, not much prior to that. Both sets of grandparents lived my father's mother and father, and then my mother's father and mother lived in Lincoln. So going back to Lincoln was a big thing. We, we used to do that all the time. At yeah. minimum, I'd say probably once a month. It's about a 250-mile trip. They'd pile all us kids up, and we'd go, we'd go spend weekend or a couple days or something like that in, in Lincoln and see all them and that kind of stuff. And we still, mom and dad used to pack up all of Christmas. This is back way before Amazon and all that right. kind of stuff. We could choose where your stuff was. So somehow they managed to pack up all of our Christmas in a vehicle that made its way to LinkedIn without us knowing it. And then we would have Christmas there with the grandparents. Is this a National Lampoon's like station wagon situation? Yes. <laughs> nice. That's very, outstanding. Very much. Uh, very is, much is a that station where wagon. The, uh, is that where the near-death experience comes in? What's that, in the vehicle? Yeah. No. no, no. None of mine involved the vehicle. Oh, Not okay. at all. No. I, I have to hear at least one. <laughs> all right. So... <clears throat> I was real big into cowboys and Indians. Mm-hmm. Most, I think most kids uh, who spent 99.9% of their time outside, which is what, which is how I was, how I was brought up. There was no, there was no video games. There was no, none of that stuff. It was outside. That's, yeah. There's not lived. much, not much we, reason to be inside. We lived outside. So naturally I was real big into cowboys and Indians. The little bit of TV I did get to watch was, was old school westerns that kind of stuff. Cowboys and Indians were my thing. Yeah, so, sure. And then I don't want to jump ahead, but the movie Robin Hood came out and changed all that. But right. Yeah. <laughs> prior to that, uh, it was all Cowboys and Indians, and I would play both roles, both cowboy and Indian. Uh, and what was pretty pretty pervasive for for that time of day? How did they execute people? Uh, shot them. Some 
Well, yes. If you were tried in a court of law and sentenced to death, how did that happen? Oh, yeah, hanging. Yes, hanging. So I was being an Indian being hung. Oh, no. And I had my sister's jump rope <laughs> tied off to a tree limb above me, and then I climbed up on the tree a little bit and slipped and oh, was hanging no. in the front yard by my neck and a jump rope. Who came? Who, who helped you? My sisters, they kind of saw it, but didn't didn't really think – I mean, I'm sure they knew it was a problem, obviously. But so they came over, one of my sisters grabbed me by the legs and picked my legs up, and I was able to get the rope out from around my neck. Yeah. At the same time, my mother somehow saw all this out of the kitchen window. She was inside cooking dinner or doing something. Uh, so she saw all of it out of the kitchen window and became the fastest woman alive. And she was out there yeah. incredibly fast. I don't know how. She ended up falling down the steps. To <laughs> fall down the steps, busted her leg all up. But she was out there just like that. So had I been by myself, I would have died for sure. Yeah, you'd still be swinging. Yeah, absolutely. Till somebody saw me or Pops came home or something like that. Yeah. So that was one. Then that was on a Saturday. The next day we had church. And I remember going to church and everybody wanting to know what this giant burn was around my neck. Because I had a giant rope burn all the way around my neck. Yeah. And it was, yeah. I, I very much remember that. Dude, that's a big deal. Yeah, my mom whooped my tail. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> After making sure I, you were alive. The two the two <laughs> the two that I can recall very well, uh my mama ended up beating my tail after both of them. <laughs> Here I am almost dying. Yeah. First thing mama does is beat the hell out of me. So, oh, man. But yeah, so it was a teaching teachable moment. Yeah. So she made sure to execute that properly. That's legit. That's yeah. like a near death experience. For sure. Did your brain uh process how close it was, or was it just a, a problem? It was just a problem. Looking back, it was, I mean, I, could, I don't know how long I sat there and hung, right. but I, I remember it. I mean, I remember putting the rope around my neck, and I remember slipping off the side of the tree, and then I remember hanging there, swinging back and forth, and then my sister coming picking my legs up. So I, I remember all of it. But then after that, after mom beat my tail, I just kind of, I don't remember much after that, except church the next day. Yeah. I'm almost scared to ask, but what was the other one? Uh, this was a pool incident. Uh, my aunt had a pool, and we used to always go over there swim, all that good stuff. And the rule was for me back then is I couldn't leave the deep, I couldn't leave the shallow end, excuse me. But I had this thing where I would always stand on the hill, you know, the hill around the edge of the pool, and walk all the way around it because all oh, my sisters yeah. and all that yeah. they were all. So I slipped off of that hill one day, and there was nobody else in the pool. Just mom was outside and I was outside. She was doing whatever she was doing, and I slipped off and bloop. And you went. And I went. So she came, pulled me out. Since she pulled me out of the pool, uh, beat my tail, <laughs> and that's it. And that's yeah. where I began my love for water. Yeah. So you, you could <laughs> swim like a rock at the time. Yes, that's correct. That's correct. Goodness so, gracious. So that's two. I feel like there's, I feel like there's more, but I, you know, as you get older. It's just kind of a laughable moment versus a serious thing. I feel, I feel sure there's more. Yeah, yeah. Um, goodness gracious. <laughs> so, uh, so far we've heard about your mom uh, beating you twice. Yes. Um, did she do anything else for you other than Other than ass? beat me? Yeah. No, no. She strictly just beat me. Okay. <laughs> no, no. Uh, <coughs> the, family, the family dynamic, as far as my mother and father, when it came to raising four kids all two years apart, I have three older sisters, were all almost exactly two years apart. I think my mom and dad had a problem. But so dad worked, dad went to school, 
graduated from Chapel Hill uh, with a pharmacy degree. That's what he went to school to be, was a pharmacist. He did that for a little while. And then, if I'm, if I'm recalling correctly, he went back to school and got some kind of other degree in business. So he was the assistant administrator at the hospital in Lincoln, uh, Lincoln County Hospital. And mother went to Chapel Hill, graduated from Chapel Hill, and she was a nurse. Been a nurse her whole career. So they're both somewhat in the medical side of things. Sure. Dad worked eight to five. And then nurses, we all know, where's the money at? Weekend nights. Yeah. So mom worked weekend nights. Uh, my whole upbringing was homeschooled. We were all homeschooled. All homeschooled. My sisters all the way up into high school and myself to middle school. So <clears throat> it was a lot of time spent with one or the other. Sure. Very rarely, very rarely together. And, and I can appreciate that a little bit. But it was, uh, you know, it was definitely mom had her ways of, of doing things, and then dad had his way of doing things. So it was uh, an interesting way, to be, interesting way to be brought up. Mom was, of course, very loving. Uh, if you got in trouble around mama, she didn't really discipline you per se. She made you wait until daddy got home, and then daddy got to discipline you. Pass the buck. That's right. I don't, yeah. In hindsight now, being a parent myself, I would deem it as passing the buck, but mama didn't want to be the bad guy. Yeah, yeah, hey, and it then, makes sense. Good cop, bad cop. Yeah, and then, but you know, Dad, he was the strict. You know, you know, that's the way his his father was. Uh, it was very much the strict. This is this is the way we do it. Anything deviating from that is wrong, and that's it. Um, yeah. So, so four kids. Uh, you are what number? I'm the baby. All right, baby, and the only boy. That's right. You said we shared that. Yep, yeah, the baby and the only boy. Man, uh, that whole discipline thing reminds me. My dad used to. Um, he would undo the belt and pull it out really fast. The famous sound. Yes. Man, that that sound was power. Sure. You knew <laughs> things were going south. And the thing was with my dad, best that I can remember is I don't there might have been one or two times that I was spanked with a belt. Um <laughs> I talk about this at family events and stuff all the time. We still reflect on it, but we had this thing called the rod. Oh, no. And what it was, was it was a section of a microphone pole. So it was a very, I guess what you could equate to now is kind of like PVC pipe. Super rigid, no flex, no nothing. And it was a rod. And that's that's what we got our spankings with. Not a belt, not a hand, not any other object. That was what that particular thing was for. And it lived on top of the refrigerator. Yeah. Yep. And when it was your turn to be disciplined or whatever, you had to go retrieve it. Oh, I no. can't tell you how many times I accidentally pushed it behind the refrigerator yeah. in effort to get it. <laughs> mm. But it never worked. No. <laughs> it yeah, never it's worked. Funny. Yeah. <laughs> never worked. Oh my gosh. No, I, I never had to go retrieve anything. That belt was that like, belt was the utensil. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no, I don't no um maybe once or twice, but it was it was uh it was pretty pretty much a ritual thing, a very ritualistic thing to the the rod stood for something. Yeah. So So a microphone Yes, um, a, a section of a microphone pole, like a little kid's microphone pole. It was yellow. Never forget it. Yeah, yep. man, uh, here we are full circle. Uh, sure, back on the mics. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> man, that's wild. So, uh, so Dad. Dad. Working at the, uh, at the hospital. That's right. We lived, uh, we lived on a farm, so we had animals. We had two horses, sheep, goat, dogs, uh, all kinds of stuff like that. So essentially, I grew up. On the in the farm life, not as people on the East Coast think of farms with chickens and turkeys and hogs and all that good stuff, but like legit, like gardens, that kind of thing. Um, 
So there was always something. There was always chores. We had we had chores. There was always chores. Uh, horse stalls, uh, feeding animals, hurricane. Hugo came yeah. through sometime back around there. So on the uh, on the property that my mom and dad owned, there was all kinds of deadfall in the woods and stuff like that. So it was constantly cutting trees, dragging brush. You know, that's I mean that was that was chores for us. Yep. So, so. you just had these uh, predetermined. Was it like a list you went and checked off, or you just knew I got to clean the horse stall, I got to clean. This? Yes, basically it was just a. Uh, I mean, it was you. You did what Dad asked, and Dad asked the same thing every day. So there was no need to write anything. It got easy. That's right. Yeah. And if you chose not to do it, then the rod. Yeah. <laughs> Man, uh, so you're seven, and you moved to Clinton. Yeah. Well, we moved to Clinton. My dad took the. He went from assistant administrator in Lincolnton to administrator in Clinton, if my memory serves me correct. Uh, so he just took another job in a different hospital. My mom and dad had prior history in Clinton where two of my three sisters were born. So they had some prior history in Clinton. Hospital calls him, wants him to come work for them. So they move. Um, my mom and dad are very, very uh, traditional. Pop says, we're moving. Mom says, okay. okay. There was no, yeah, there was no, she didn't want to. Uh, she loved our house that we were in. She loved being around the grandparents and then moving to Clinton where she she had no assistance with the kids, no help with the kids, no grandparents to take them to, no grandparents coming over. You know, she's basically uprooting her whole childhood and then moving it. Yeah. So but there was there's there was never I've never been informed that there was any questioning. It was just okay. Yeah. So whether she liked it or didn't like it, it was just that's that's what that's that's what they did. So yeah. Yeah, they moved to Clinton. Mom obviously gets a job at the hospital, no issues with that. Uh, and it was a little bit a little bit different. I always had my sisters play with growing up. I remember having friends, but we were part of the, the 4-H community, so a lot of homeschool kids all get together, play rec sports, do, do stuff like that. So I had friends, but it was um, far different from a, like a, the idea of a public school uh, friends as far as that goes. So, uh, And then me and my sisters were always super close. I mean, we still are yeah, uh, very close. So we were always playing together. I had the sister who's closest in age to me, uh, Natalie. She she played Cowboys and Indians with me. She built forts with me, you know, all kinds of stuff like that. So we were always super close. I always had a playmate, somebody to play with. I played dress up with them, played house with them, played baby dolls with them. So, I mean, it was, you know, we were super close. Yeah. Uh, so no school sports? No school sports. It was homeschool all the way through? Homeschool was for my sisters was all the way to high school, and then mine was in middle school. Because if you think about the age spread there, it would have been just me at home. Yeah. So, uh, I guess Mama thought and she offered. She, I mean, it was not a, a push thing for me to go, but she, she offered. You know, you can go. You know, you can go to school with your sisters in the middle school, or you can stay home and be homeschooled. But you know, that took all my playmates away I mean, it took my sisters away i didn't have nothing to do i mean yeah. when you're homeschooled and you can focus on things and your mom's your teacher uh you know there's two two and a half hours of school work and then the rest of the day is yours i mean so you know and there would there would be nothing to do so i chose to go to school uh, we all rode together <laughs> in the same vehicle when my sister got a license and yeah i mean we just how about that so uh it seems like it would be a big change like doing the homeschool life and then suddenly public school and behavior stuff and it wasn't uh we didn't go to public school we went to a private school so 
my classroom was was small and it was the same it was the same set of people so it was I, I forget how many was in my class when I started in sixth grade maybe maybe 15 to 20 maybe so it was super small uh, and it was the same way for my sisters their classes were all that size very small so that's I mean it was a big difference I never had to worry about you know, bullying or anything like that, other than my sisters picking on me, and so it was. Um, it was definitely a, a, a bit of a culture shock, a, di- a difference. So, uh, but you know, hindsight, it was also very good for me. So, yeah. what was your uh, graduating class size? For them, I moved schools. When I went to high school, I went to a different high school than what two of my sisters graduated from. What size was the high school? Uh, Clinton High. So it was big. My class went from fifteen to twenty to. Between 250 and 300. Yeah. It's a <laughs> big difference. Yeah, big difference. How about that? That, um, that wasn't all that much. Uh, other than all the people, the I guess the experience wasn't all that much. It wasn't all that much different. The uh, Obviously, the teachers weren't as personal. Um, sure. You know, so uh, you could figure out that you could get away with a lot more things in public school than you could in a private school. So, you know, that's when that kind of rebellious kind of envelope came came you know to the forefront of my mind and that kind of thing so but yeah prior to that it was it was strict there was no deviation from the line it was this is the line this is what you walk how did you finance your rebellion how Uh, did i finance yeah (laughs) what what was that first job (laughs) oh man let's see my first real job let's see i'm trying to think i'm having a problem in my brain picking out which one came first but they were right there about the same time period I either started at Domino's Pizza because my mom knew the manager's mom or something like that. And she got me slid in there. This is all I'm about 15 years old. Mm-hmm. So she either got me slid in there at, it was either Domino's first and Turkey Farm second, or it was Turkey Farm then Domino's. I want to say it was it was in the latter order. So Domino's, and I figured out that was not for me. I was not going to be answering phones and attempting to make a pizza. Plus, I was terrible at it. <laughs> so <laughs> I can't see you making pizza. Yeah, I yeah. was terrible at it. Uh, so then it was Turkey Farm. Then I got my license, and I still worked at the Turkey Farm, but I got a job at Piggly Wiggly Bag and Groceries. So that was that was fun. I did that for a while. Yeah, working at the pig. Yeah, man, Bag and Groceries. That was that was the high school dream. You know, you go work your three hours, you make your money, and yeah, you buy paintballs. That's it. Yeah. Whatever you wanted to do. It How long on. did that paintball era? Oh, man. See, probably hot and heavy. Probably quit when I graduated high school. But it was still came around, even when I was in county fire. Uh, when I first started county fire, we used to get a big group and go play. Just play behind uh, Captain Padgett's house all the time, at least once a week. So, yeah. But uh, heavily, where I was playing tournament ball and stuff like that, that pr- after high school, probably just, you know, when the real world came about. So Yeah, man. So, um where does the fire department fit in? Like, <laughs> did you uh, did you end up getting a job or you did some volunteering? What was the uh, how no, did that I transition happen? I never volunteered. Uh, when I was in high school, there was one guy whose one guy that I can recall. There was one guy whose father was on the fire department. He was kind of he was in the fire department, uh, so he worked part time with the Clinton Fire Department. And we were we were somewhat close, not super tight, but he he is his family owned farms. I worked on farms, so it's kind of went hand in hand. The farmers communities kind of you know, you know, you know people. Sure. Um, you know the farmers are always helping each other out, that kind of stuff. Whether it be you know, 
I send my help to your phone to help you do things uh, when it's crunch time for you and vice versa. So, uh, you know, we knew each other through there as well as through high school. He was a real popular kid in high school. So, I mean, you know, you, you knew those people. Uh, whether or not you socialized with them, you still knew them. You know, you knew who the popular people were. Right. So, and he was older than me uh, by a couple of years. So I think he was in, in my sister's class. And then still, uh, the home life, hanging out with, uh, hanging out with all my sister's friends and stuff like that. I mean, that was still a, I mean, that was still a thing. I always hung out with older people. You know, I grew up with older people. I always hung out with older people. Uh, so there's there's some there's some meat to my story in between when I found the fire service and kind of that that period uh, from the farm from the farm to when I got into the fire service. There's some there's some meat in there. Uh, at Pig League, I met a girl. Um, she worked in the photo lab. She was the catch of the store, buddy. Let me tell you what. I, l- I like what I'm hearing so far. Yeah, she yeah. was she was the catch of the store. Nobody walked past the photo. This is back when they still developed photos. Yeah. So, <laughs> so she worked in the photo lab, and nobody walked past the photo lab without turning to look at her. Right. Yeah, she was a fine thing. I grew up with girls. Girls were no problem to me. So I just talked to her. Yeah. Uh, so it turned out we started dating. Cool. I was, boy, I was hot stuff. Had the hot chick at Piggly Wiggly. Um, that relationship lasted a total of seven and a half years. Uh, so there was some, you know, some job change. I moved out. I uh, didn't move in with her, but she'll, she'll play a big part into my story um, as we get further. But uh, so just pick that up and bring it with you. Yeah. Uh, the, she'll play a part. But the um, kind of the skipping around trying to find what I liked. Uh, as I hung around more with farms and hung around more with farmers, I kind of started developing this clique of friends. Uh, you know, the farm owner's kids, the other guys who worked on farms. It was just kind of a, I mean, it was it was your typical country boy kind of living. You had your clique. Um, we were all like-minded, all kind of the same. Uh, enjoyed doing the same things, hunting, fishing. That's what we grew up doing, so we just clicked. Yeah. Uh, a lot of them were firemen. Uh, so I'd, I'd known about that side of things, but I hadn't, I hadn't dabbled in it by any means. So graduated high school, get done with high school. What am I going to do now? College was not an option. I was not going to college by no means. I barely skated through high school. Right. I did not like school at all. Uh, I was not a great student by any means. (laughs) Very much did not hold the standard to my sister's. Uh, so they were all wonderful, great students, and I was the polar opposite. Did not like it. Uh, so what am I going to do? Well, then my brother-in-law, who married my oldest sister, he was inheriting and was uh, you know, kind of being groomed to take over his family business, which was a gas company. So he was pretty much day-to-day doing the, the managing the operations of the gas company on a day-to-day. This is propane. Uh, so I asked him. I was like, you know, you need any help or anything like that? So he was obviously sure good you can come right on a service truck one of my guys they always need an extra set of hands you know you can come work here so I went and did that I did that for six months and got more and more as my click began to come kind of you know we stayed close stayed close and hearing stories about firehouse stuff and this kind of thing I don't know just something happened one day and I was leaving my brother-in-law's store and I called my buddy uh, and I was like, what do I got to do to be a fireman? He said, it sounds super cool. What do I have to do? Now, I had never volunteered. Uh, anything. I don't even know that I had ever set foot in a firehouse, period. Right. 
so I said, what do I need to do to be a fireman? So he kind of told me the process of what it would take for me to get on a Clinton. Go fill out an application. You got to run through an agility test, blah, 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 blah. Interview, all that good jazz. Um, we don't have any full-time stuff. It's all, so they, they were a combination department. So it was part-time and full-time. And the off-duty people served as volunteers. Sure. Um, so it was, uh, you know, a, a rather big department for a small city, you know, for a small small town thing. So there was no full-time positions open. Those positions were filled. And, I mean, looking back in it, those were positions were filled for as long as those human beings were alive. Yeah, <laughs> so right. Not a lot of turnover. No, not a lot of turnover at all. So let me ask, um, I think everybody wants to know, what part of that seven-year, where are we, like you're – you're doing the application for Clinton. Mm-hmm. Where is that in that seven-year relationship? So we're still dating. Okay. Still dating for sure. Right on through all this. I mean, she was she was there. She was she was younger than I was. So one year that I was out of high school, when I graduated, she was in her senior year. Okay. So she was a year behind me. So, uh, you know, I was out into the real world, and then she was still in high school. So it was there was a year difference between us. Uh, she was actually the homecoming queen. She was in a different school. She wasn't in a hometown. She lived in a, in, a, in another city in Sampson County. Uh, she was the homecoming queen. Once again, here I am, you know, hot stuff again. Right, I got the right. homecoming queen. Uh, so that was pretty cool. Uh, myself and her parents were really close. I spent every single weeknight over there until it was time to go home. So, I mean, it was we were super close. I spent a lot, a lot of time uh, with her parents as well as her. So very much the typical, I guess, high school type of relationship yeah um we did a lot of things together stuff like that so maybe maybe getting close on to two or three years by now gotcha um was uh was your age and the relationship did that play a role any at all in the fire department thing like i know now as adults we run stuff by our significant others but (laughs) no no absolutely not yeah okay no absolutely not that was um i remember talking to her and saying stuff about it but and and she was around the same group of friends that i was uh so she she understood um and even in there in where she went to school in her hometown and stuff like that she still had friends she had a twin brother and they were you know volunteers and firemen stuff like that Mm -hmm. so she wasn't oblivious to it by any means but no i didn't i sure didn't need her permission sure to do anything yeah so So probably a couple years into the relationship now, uh, and I talked to Josh and asked him about the, um, you know, what it took and started that whole process. So I went on a Saturday, did the agility test, went through an interview, all that good stuff. A couple months later, get a part-time job with them, straight into Fayetteville Fire Academy. Uh, that's just where they certify you to be one and two certified. That was the thing back then. Yeah, so they hire you, and then they send they you send to an me. academy. Yep, and then they sent me. All sure. Right. Uh, so, you know, that was, what, seven months, eight months long? So that was a, you know, pretty, pretty lengthy thing. But I, I mean, I came out done, basically. I didn't, I didn't need anything. Uh, yeah. Some of the specialty stuff, you know, it was far different back then. We're talking 2005. So it was way different back then than it is now as far as curriculum and stuff like that goes. So, but I mean, I didn't need anything. I came out of the fire academy. Still, while I was in the fire academy, I would go work. Uh, part-time work nights and stuff like that. I was just limited to what I, you know, what my purpose could be on the fire grounds from lack of certification and whatnot. So still very much involved in the firehouse. I didn't realize that, uh, that we shared the, uh, long Academy. Uh, mine was different. Mine was, yours was an actual like Academy. Mine was not. Mine was, you go, you take classes, you go home. 
Okay. Like, there was no PT aspect. There was no nothing. And I think Fayetteville, Fayetteville was one of the more well-known ones. I mean, we had guys from that lived outside of Charlotte that came down and took, you know, was in my class. Yeah. So they were from they were from everywhere. So I don't, I don't think it was as big a deal as it is now. Where you know you have all these community colleges kind of getting involved in emergency services. So it was, um, yeah. But that's like I said, that was two thousand five. Yeah. So. All right. So you get out of the academy mm-hmm. and you're on a fire truck. Part time, still, still working part time. Uh, I worked every single day, six days at a minimum of six days a week, twelve hour shifts every single day. There was two shifts, A shift and B shift. They worked three twelve hour rotations. So basically, you would work Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday from six to six. That's a twelve hour. Nobody worked at night. Part time staff worked at night. Uh, you had three full-timers and two part-timers that worked during the day. I was always one of those part-timers during the day uh, on both shifts. So I worked minimum of six days, uh, and so I was in the firehouse every day, every day. Was uh, that um, because they needed it or you you wanted to be at the firehouse? Most of the uh, – one, I wanted to be at the firehouse for sure. Uh, I was learning a lot learning a lot about life in general. Yeah. Uh, there's a very significant character in, in this that plays a huge role. But, uh, you know, I was learning a lot about life and just that the kind of the same feeling I reckon we all get. You know, this is, this is interesting. This is far different than anything that I was raised in. This is far different than anything that I, that outside of my clique of friends. I mean, this is just a completely different environment. And you either love it or you don't. And sure. I loved it. He's nice. up with it. Yeah. Bad. Uh, sure. So, yes, I, I mean, I worked at the firehouse at a minimum of six days a week. And then sometimes I would work, you know, 24. So I would work uh, the day shift and turn around and work the night shift. So, What kind of call volume do you guys have? <clears throat> we didn't run any medical responses at all. So it was all alarms and fires and wrecks. And, it, I mean, it, it averaged out. I think we were – I think we were – the highest that I remember our annual volume was maybe seems like I remember us hitting fifteen hundred one year and that being a really big deal. <laughs> yeah. But uh you know, this, this the city that I work for, it, it was not like a city that you would think of. It's very small. The actual city limits part of it was very small. So everything outside it was very rural. Very rural community, uh stuff like that. And we had a humongous district. So lots of fires. Less less alarms than fires. That's outstanding. Yeah. So lots of fires, lots of wrecks. Um, so I mean, it was about like anything else. Some days were hot, some days were not. I mean, so I can see where that lots would, uh, of exposure where that would pull you in. Sure. Yeah. Lots of exposure. Uh, and then you know, working with the, you know, working with those guys, they were just as eat up as I was. So it was, it was um, great learning and, and a great way to be brought up. Walking through that, uh, I quickly figured out after about a year, year and a half, that the department I was working at was great if I wanted a job, but not great if I wanted a career. It was not, um, there wasn't room for growth within the department. Well, like you said, there wasn't a lot of attrition. I went out for full time, one time, and I wasn't chosen to be a full time employee. Somebody else was chosen who was hired probably three months prior to the to the process of the full-time process they were hired 
Uh, and that really got under my skin really bad. I put in all this time, all this effort, all these hours. You know, it's just in the back of your mind. You're like, I'm a shoe in. Why are we even having a process? Yeah. You know? So, uh, so I was not chosen for that. And that really kind of changed my perspective on things and, you know, kind of put it in my brain. Well, this is, might not be the best, the best thing if I want an actual job. I was getting to the age where, uh, you know, I needed to start looking at benefits and stuff like that. I was not a college student. Uh, mom and daddy were not going to pay, uh, you know, my health insurance and everything for the rest of my life. It just wasn't going to, I could not be a part-time employee, uh, as a career. So in that, uh, in this time frame, did you have somebody like a senior guy or somebody in your ear? For sure. Okay. Um, a very special, very special character. Uh, I remember him from the agility test all the way. I remember almost every day spent working with this particular fella. Uh, his name was Lee Stafford. He was a captain or a lieutenant is what they had then. He was a lieutenant for Clinton full-time, uh, was a part-time police officer, owned a landscaping business, owned a car dealership, and just an extremely larger-than-life character. And I wanted to be in his back pocket every day, no matter what he was doing. Uh, whether he was fixing cars to sell, I wanted to be there. He was cutting grass, I wanted to be there. If he was at the firehouse, I wanted to be there. Was, so it, was his personality the draw, or was it just the uh, so many different things? You know, like, no, I, I definitely think it was just him. I got gotcha. you. I, I yeah. He could have been uh, sewing baskets underwater, and it wouldn't have mattered. I'd have sat right there and breathed bubbles with him. I got gotcha. you. Uh, it was just him. Um, I was very much drawn to him. He often said that uh, I was the son that he never had. Uh, so, But, uh, yeah, very drawn to him. We fought a lot of fire together. We went through all kinds of experiences together. Uh, my first first deaths, experiencing death as a fireman. Uh, you know, he was there. He was he's he was there for a lot, a lot, a lot of things. And uh, you know, just ups and downs through relationships, as little as they are when you're you know 18 to 20 years old, as minute. You know, they're a big deal for you then. Uh, but as minute in the in the grand scheme of things, uh, you know, he was there. Uh, we used to eat dinner a lot together. I mean, every single second that I was not at the firehouse, I was with him doing something. And if it was night, we were in his shop talking, playing pool, doing something. I mean, I was literally, literally up his tail all okay. the time. <laughs> yeah. So uh, how old is this guy compared to you? Let's see. He was at least, he was at least, he was at least eight to 10 years older than I was. Okay. Uh, at least. So a much older fella, but you know how his firemen are. The age thing doesn't matter in the firehouse because we're right, all yeah. kids in the firehouse. Uh, and I think that played a part in it, the fact that he was a kid when we were at the firehouse, but I also saw the seriousness and the the kind of that discipline and that work ethic outside of the firehouse. Um, so, um, you know, I learned a lot from him, you know, for that those those years throughout all of it. Uh, if you were going to describe his personality like a – uh, stern fella, easy going, uh, that typical senior guy, uh, like what? Uh, he was very stern. Okay. Very, very stern. Uh, within five seconds of meeting Lee, you knew exactly where you stood with him because All right, yeah. he was not ashamed to tell you. Uh, and that reputation carried him throughout the town. I mean, everybody knew, uh, there was people who loved Lee, who really knew Lee like myself. And then there was people who had heard of Lee. Uh, so yeah. it was, um, 
But, yes, it was very stern. He didn't back down from anything. If something that he didn't agree with or he deemed wrong, and this is for all aspects of his life, uh, he wouldn't hesitate. He didn't care about your feelings. That was mine included. I was the son he never had. Uh, if I was out of line, he was quick to tell me, you know, you need to get your shit together. Uh, you know, this is ridiculous or whatever. Yeah. Um, or that was a stupid decision or something. Uh, but, yes, very stern. I think that was um, – Probably a lot of the cop in him, uh, you know, uh, not being able to deal well with, you know, the BS and always keeping those that kind of guard up. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but just yeah, very stern, very stern. He had a he definitely had a reputation around town. Yeah, brutally definitely. honest kind of guy. Very brutally honest. Very outlandish. Uh, he 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 liked to drink, and when he drank, his mouth opened up. So, yeah. <laughs> um, so that was definitely a part of it. Uh, he was known. He was a popular guy. So, gotcha. Uh, he was. So. Was yes. Was was. So when when do you and Lee part ways? Oh, let's see. Uh, June sixth or ninth. I can't remember. June sixth or ninth. Uh, Two thousand ten, twelve, ten or twelve. I can't remember. I will remember, and I will correct myself. Uh, that was a, a heavy couple of years. Uh, hopefully, folks will understand the gap as the story unfolds. But sure. whether I can remember is 2010 or 2012. But uh, so somewhere in there, I got a phone call super late at night. By this time, I had moved out. I was on my own. Uh, to be quite honest with you, I had taken that period of time. I'm just going to lay some groundwork. Taking that period of time where I wasn't uh, positive about staying with Clinton or going somewhere else or something like that. Uh, I was a dispatcher for a, a short stint. Get out. Terrible idea. Yeah. That it took me 15 minutes to realize I did not belong <laughs> in that room <laughs> in the dark with all those computer screens, much less the fact that Lee had rubbed off on me so bad that answering phone calls was not a great idea for me. Right. Um, so I had done that. Also, I had I had started being employed and was employed with New Hanover County by then with uh, the department I'm with now. So... Uh, you know, I was hired and I, I had a couple years here. Lee pinned my badge on me when I, you know, graduated our academy here. Uh, so we're at 2007 then. That's when that happened, when I was employed here or became employed here. Uh, so, you know, that time period and, you know, Lee mentored me a lot. Lee, he coached me to come to New Hanover a little bit, but he was very hesitant. He didn't want me to leave. Sure. He, I mean, Selfishly, he knew what that meant. I mean, he knew that his part-time helper was gone. I mean, he, like I said, selfishly, he didn't he didn't want me to leave, but he never he never he never held me back. Uh, I would get off from work with New Hanover and go straight home and get the lawn trailer and all that stuff, and away I'd go to cut grass, um, just like that. Uh, so it's either it was definitely June. Uh, June 6th or 9th, whatever, 2010, 2012, I'll make sure I get clarity on that. Uh, I got a phone call late one night, super late one night, uh, by another great friend of mine who's an uh, employee from Hanover County as well, uh, telling me that Lee had had an accident. Uh, and I didn't understand. You know, I just woke up. I was like, what do you mean Lee had an accident? And he said, uh, he, said he shot himself. And I said, okay, so is he at the hospital? You know, where's, you know, right. okay. Is he all right? You know, instantly start laughing. <laughs> Where? You know, shot yeah. himself in the hand or whatnot. And then I could hear his voice change, and he was like, "Now nah, he's dead, bro. And I was like, 
whatever. I immediately hang up the phone, get dressed to his house. I go, uh, when I got there, I might've been one of the first handful of people that was there. Obviously his wife was there. Uh, I think a few cops had gotten there. His other good friend, probably his best friend. Um, he was there and it was, it was starting to kind of become reality, I guess you could say. Uh, but still in denial. And I remember parking because the few policemen that were there had parked and kind of blocked the driveway off. So I remember slamming my truck in the park and beelined straight for the shop because that's where Lee was. If he wasn't asleep, he was in the shop. Sure, yeah. Uh, beelining towards the shop and everybody hollering, you know, don't don't go up there, don't go up there and whatnot. And one of the cops actually stopped me, but not before I could see. Um, yeah, you know, that Lee was laying there behind his desk, um, had definitely shot himself in the head. And it still didn't really quite sit in all the way yet. You know, you're still in denial a little bit. So um, dealing with that, um, that was that was a, a for sure low point um, in my life. You know, my best friend, my mentor, the guy who pinned me, uh, you know, had taught me so much about the fire service that I love today. You know, seeing him laying there like that was – not exactly what you what you want. So, that's a that's um, a life altering situation for sure. Um, absolutely for sure. So um, I don't know if it was my upbringing from my mom and dad or whatever, but something inside me has always had this burning desire to serve, whether it be total strangers, you know, kind of with the job that we're at now, whether it be my officer, my fireman, whatever it may be. I've always had this burning desire to want to serve. I think a lot of people put this big umbrella on it and say, you know, help people, you know, help people. Uh, But to me, it's just service. I've always had that weird desire to serve, and I'm great at serving as a mask to dealing with my own stuff. Sure. Uh, Immediately, uh, still with this very – clear image of my best friend laying, uh, you know, laying there dead with half his head gone, uh, in a shop floor where I had spent so many hours, you know, all I can muster up is to go to his wife and, you know, tell her, I said, I said, look, you know, I'll take care of the grass tomorrow. <laughs> I mean, uh, the brain starts thinking more dude, simple. It's, yeah. yeah. It, and it's, and you know, I've carried that, uh, I've carried that even now I carry that, uh, the, the wanting to serve as a means for kind of masking or dealing with my own problems, uh, my own thing. Uh, I still carry that along. Um, and there's not a day, there's not one day that goes by that I don't think about Lee for sure. Uh, his obituary from the newspaper is still taped in my locker at work. Uh, it'll be there forever. Um, so yeah, that's, uh, yeah. Damn it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, to best I can recall, uh, the still in that seven year relationship period, I remember her, I remember her being, you know, trying to be sympathetic and trying to be comforting through all of it, but I don't remember it. You know what I mean? I don't, yeah. I didn't, I didn't remember anything. I don't, I don't remember anything. I remember riding on the fire truck with his, with his casket. And I remember his funeral service and that kind of stuff, but I don't, all the stuff in between and all the the details and all that kind of stuff, I don't remember any of it. 
just blurs together a little bit. I have zero memory of it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if it's because I was heavily intoxicated or what, but uh, I mean, I don't, I don't remember any of it. I don't remember any of that stuff. Or it's just an area of my life that I've just repeatedly chose to block out. And now it's just so vague that I, I don't remember it. I don't remember my girlfriend at the time. She may, she may have been my fiance at that time. Uh, I don't remember. I don't remember any of that. I don't remember what role she played. I don't remember what role my mom and dad played, my sisters, none of them. The other guys at the firehouse, I remember nothing. Um, it's kind of weird reflecting on, but I don't. I don't, I don't recall any of it. Yeah. <laughs> Makes for a terrible story. <laughs> yeah. I, I remember um, a similar occurrence when, uh, when my cousin did the same thing. Uh, there was a uh, – I had questions in my head, you know, like – how did we get here? But, uh, but yeah, I hearing you say it, there's, there's gaps in that, uh, in that time frame. Uh, what a weird thing to go through. I remember thinking that the world, the world's marching on and it shouldn't be. I wanted it to stop. Sure. You know, uh, like, I, we have to address this, you know, man, there's, it, it's a hard thing to process <clears throat> mentally. Uh, I, I can identify with that. Uh, the serve like immediately I, I started thinking of things that he would have been responsible for that I need to carry on sure. for him or yeah yep. that's uh yeah that's that's very much uh very much kind of the the way I was drawn instantaneously I, I just there's stuff to be done that Lee was responsible for there's shifts to work at the firehouse there's grass to be cut there's cars that need to be you know there's stuff uh you know he's not here to do it somebody's got to do it so I was very quick to be the one, want to be the one, you know, to make sure that his family, you know, went through their time of suffering as seamless as possible. And, uh, yeah, like I said, that still follows me today. Um, still follows me. It's a, it's a, it's a fault for sure. As, as good as the intentions are, it's, it's a problem. <laughs> I, I get that. Um, yep. <clears throat> During that time frame, uh, I told you with Scott that I didn't know at the time that there were some red flags. Was this one of those like uh, like completely out of the blue, or do you feel like now, with some more experience looking back, maybe it was something recognizable? Um, not with that incident, I wouldn't say. Uh, not that I can remember anyway. <laughs> like yeah. I said, uh, it's a garbage story, I know. But um, <laughs> the uh, not that I can remember. I just remember diving so hard into work. Uh, I remember that night I called my BC because I had I was scheduled to work the next day, and I said, "Look, I said, uh, I said my best friend shot himself. Um, he's dead. and I won't be coming to work tomorrow." And I remember specifically, very much him verbatim saying, "He said, oh God, take as long as you need," and that was it. Uh, and then the overwhelming amount of support from my brothers and my family here uh, in New Hanover, my fire service family. Um, you know that I remember that flooding in, uh, not necessarily towards me, and I'm sure it was gearing towards me, but I just didn't feel that. But I, I remember the the role that they were playing, uh, you know, bringing cover companies, you know, all the way up, you know, an hour and a half or an hour away from you know their home. Uh, I just I remember that that little sort and stuff, and I'm sure they did piles of things for me specifically, but I just I don't remember that. Um, so. That's one of the parts of the fire service that I had no awareness coming in that this was even going to be a thing. 
but it's uh, in times that are tough for whatever reason, you know, when Keenan was sick, when different sure. things happen, uh, that support uh, that comes is uh, it's impressive. It's uh, it's it's, I mean, it's one of the biggest one of the biggest uh, things I can say that is. I don't. It could almost be a defining characteristic for firemen, uh, is the is the ability to support and set their stuff aside for somebody, a brother who's in need, in your department, out of your department. None of it matters. Uh, you know, these hands stretch big. Um, yeah. It doesn't matter. <clears throat> so yeah, that's a. I'm I'm very 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 happy to say that I'm a I'm a part of a family like that, uh, yeah, no such kidding. a giving family for sure. Um. So, uh, after Lee, um, what I remember was, you know, kind of a rocky road. Uh, I remember kind of coming back out of that, getting him back into the routine. I absorbed the, uh, the grass cutting business that was his. So I was hot and heavy into that. Uh, we didn't lose any clients, but lost another person to help, uh, with Lee. So, you know, I was working my tail off uh, a lot. Um, I remember calling in, I remember calling in sick to New Hanover so I wouldn't fall behind cutting grass. Um, <clears throat> so, uh, really heavy, really, uh, really heavy workload, a lot of, lot of things going on as far as that goes. Um, and I don't remember the date to be exact. I know that in this time period, uh, I had moved out of the apartment that I was renting with my best friend <clears throat> and bought a house, uh, with my fiance, the photo lab chick. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so we had bought a house together. I uh, had kind of gone in, kind of done a little bit of reno, you know, paint and all that kind of stuff, making it ours. Uh, so we were in it, but we weren't in it long. Um, we started having some issues. Uh, just, I don't remember specifically, you know, what the issues were about. Kind of reflecting back now, uh, probably my ridiculously heavy workload uh, combined with stress of the fire service and I can't imagine that because even still to this day I can't imagine that I still wasn't being kind of hardened and calloused about Lee uh, so that just took every little issue or every little thing that wasn't going my way and just kind of amplified it so much uh, so there was you know there was that like I said I'm, I'm sure I had plenty of issues but at the time, you never look at yourself for fault uh, by any means. So uh, she had gone out to eat with my sister. Uh, my sisters have always been, you know, people I can talk to. If mm -hmm. I have a problem or if I'm having a problem, you know, I can call them and, you know, they'll do whatever they feel like they can to resolve, uh, to help resolve or be a, you know, a part of the, part of the process. Uh, so me and her were deep into the planning of the marriage and planning of the wedding, that kind of stuff. Uh, and, you know, we started having some issues. And I remember calling my sister and asking her, and she was like, well, let me just figure out where her head's at. He's, you know, maybe you're doing something wrong. Yeah. Uh, let me see. Let me talk to her and see if I can figure out where her head's at so I can, you know, better help, help you do what you need to do. Um, and bless her heart for that, right? <laughs> no so um, they're out to dinner. They go out to dinner one night. I'm home, whatnot. Uh, pull up the, the laptop that we both shared, start looking at it see a bunch of messages between her and a guy that we uh, played softball with was on our um, softball team. And they were very, um, very disturbing messages. Oh, I guess nah. you could say you kind of read into 
where this is going, but they were, uh, you know, very much trying to figure out how, how to have a relationship. Uh, and she didn't want to disappoint anybody. She knew how fam- close my family was. She knew how close I was with her family. Uh, and I just remember sitting there and reading all this stuff while she's out with my sister trying to figure out what the problem is. This whole time I'm thinking I'm doing something wrong. Something's wrong, something's wrong, something's wrong. And I'm sure I was. Uh, I'm not taking that. But to figure out that she's trying to figure out a way to, uh, you know, to, to start another relationship, kind of the let him down easy part. You know, how can I make this as painless as possible? Uh, I lost it. Absolutely lost my mind. Uh, <laughs> I remember calling her and telling her, I won't go verbatim with it, but telling her she needed to come home right now. Uh, she was like, well, I'm, I'm eating with her sister. We haven't even got our food yet, and I don't care. I, I don't want you to come home right now. Probably not the best decision of my life. <laughs> but right. um, uh, So anyway, she gets home. I lose my mind, obviously. Uh, I broke all kinds of things. I broke the computer. I broke, I can't tell you how many uh, the uh, slats in the um, deck out back. I can't tell you. I, I completely lost my mind. So uh, anyway, she leaves. Rightfully so. Um, she leaves. So that point was uh, that point was probably that was my low for sure. You know, I had I had dedicated seven and a half years of my life to this girl, and I'm very much a man of service. Service. I, I, I carry that with my wife now. Uh, I want to do everything in my power to make everybody around me's life as easy as possible, much to the sacrifice of my own. Uh, so it, it was very, very hard, very hard for me because there was nothing I could do. I couldn't, you know, you start playing stuff in your head of, you know, how, how can I make this better? Do I just forget? Do I just forgive her? Say, hey, you know. So that was about a two-week period that was very much spent inside of a bottle. Um, Trying to figure out which way's up. Yeah. yeah. Just, you know, my whole world would have been flipped completely upside down. Uh, she was there with me through Lee. I mean, through – the darkest times that I can, that I'd had prior, you know, she was always, she was always the girl. Um, but yeah, my whole world was flipped upside down and, you know, at 20, 22 years old, 21 and a half, 22 years old, all you've ever known since you were a high school working at the pig. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, that ruined me bad. Uh, cheating and, Beating uh, unfaithful was was not something that happened in my house. Um, yeah, that was not something that ever happened. I can't didn't come from a broken home by any means. Uh, my sister married her high school sweetheart, still very much married today. I mean, it was just something that didn't happen. And if it happened, it was very much frowned upon. Uh, there was always something. You know, the good Lord put you two together. You took a vow in front of that person as well as. Uh, the witnesses and God, and you were going to keep that no matter how bad it was. It didn't matter. You were going to keep those promises. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, it was world-changing for me. How much time between uh, Lee and this event? Not long. Damn it. Yeah, not long. Less than two years. Yeah. Yeah, less than two years for sure. That uh, that working, like... Uh, after he passed and you pick up the tours and you're, you're helping, you're working, uh, keeping busy. Uh, 
I feel like it was probably the same way I would have done it, that uh, I'm going to heal through just staying busy. That's right. If you stop, it kind of feels like everything comes back. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Mercy. Um, Absolutely. What an event to go through. Yeah, it was, um, and it was a two-week period, so that happened after she left the first time. She left for two weeks, and uh, probably... I don't know, maybe eight or nine days. You know, I I started started reestablishing communication with her because I oh. thought it was the right thing to do. Okay, you, know, you work through your problems. You know, you have uh, you know you have a slip, you you do what you have to. Um, so I had started kind of reestablishing communication with her. Uh, we're getting close to right about around Christmas now. Um, so all that, uh, you know, it's kind of this loose conversation and whatnot. So she worked out of town from where we lived. So I met her for lunch one day, uh, and we talked, had a you know had a good conversation. Ended up doing some Christmas shopping together. Uh, I believe she had actually came to a family Christmas function of mine on my side of the family. Um, so sales are in the wind. We're headed the right direction. Um, and then just one one night, she just dropped the bombs like, "I I don't want to marry you." And here we go again. So, uh, you know, start the whirlwind again. This time, this time it was easier, I will say. It wasn't yeah. quite as world-rocking. Uh, sure, I was mad, um, but I was more mad because of the things that I was going to have to do now. Uh, you know, I was going to have to figure out how, what we are going to do with this house. What were we going to do with finances? What are we, you know, just all these things that I didn't want to have to do. I don't want to do that, you know. None of that sounds fun. I don't want to do that. Um, so, you know, uh just going through all that, all that time period and stuff like that. I moved in with my sister and her now husband. Uh, I moved in with them and, you know, they had plans. They weren't going to stay in the house they were in at that time. So I was just going to slide right in there, uh, you know, gather a few more roommates and we'd live there. Uh, so that really wasn't a problem. Uh, so that, I mean, you know, it was a, it was a, not such a painful time, I'd say. Um, more of a, maybe more of a what can I do to make this hurt you more than hurt me um, kind of thing. This kind of breakup where, you know, you hurt me bad, you know, when you decided to go down the path with the other gentleman. Uh, now I'm going to hurt you back. Let's make this an equal hurt opportunity. <laughs> Human nature, <laughs> so, man. Sure, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, I mean, it was bad. I made the, the house stuff as painful as possible. Um, I was going to give the house to her. I knew that I didn't want it, um, but I made sure every single thing that I had paid for that wasn't us together paying for, I took, uh, and that meant light switch covers, that meant shower heads, that meant if I could have figured out how to do it to unroll paint off the wall and put it back in the can, <laughs> dude, yeah, everything, uh, yeah, everything, and it felt so good. <laughs> I know that's bad, yeah. but uh, man, it felt good. Uh, so we kind of went through that. Um, yeah, but then there was a, there was a time period of nine to 11 months that, man, it was just, it was party central for 23 year old Matt Hoffman. Um, yeah, it was a fun time. I lived with, uh, two other firemen. Uh, so we had the joint community house, uh, <laughs> that every, all of our friends and stuff like that. We were, we were, I was the popular guy. Um, and I had never been that way. Oh, and yeah. I liked it a lot. Man, we've gone from uh, <laughs> being born in Lincolnton 
to move it over to Clinton, uh, develop some relationships. Lost some relationships. Lost some relationships. Yeah. Uh, man, there's a... I didn't know this about you. Yeah, man, there's, a, uh, there's not, a lack of, not a lack of stories in my life, thank God. Uh, my life has been anything other than boring, and I hadn't even got started yet. Yeah, I, I <laughs> met you in 2010, and now knowing uh, this story explains uh, some of our interactions and stuff. Uh, man, communication. Yeah. It's a good thing you to do. You don't know what you don't know. Yeah. For sure. That 2009 to 2000, early 2012 period was, uh, man, that was that was a rough time. I had Lee, then uh, my fiance, the whole deal with her, uh, absorbing his business, learning how to do that, run a business and all that. Um, and then just the absolute never-ending night shenanigans. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was a lot that happened in that period. It was a lot of... <laughs> A lot of uh, a lot of structured pieces in a pie that was seriously unstructured. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, goodness, yeah. do you have any uh, photo evidence? Hopefully you do, and I can uh, sew it into the timeline here. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Lots of it. All right. Sure. Lots of it. Yeah, it makes for a good time. Sure. Lots of it. Uh, for real. The things that we go through, like that part of your story, it it's nobody would want to sign up for it, but it adds to your character. Sure. Uh, do you see uh, ways, like after that window of time, uh, do you see where it added to or impacted just you in the fire department or you in life? I would say all of the above for sure. Um, looking back on it and kind of trying to understand, you know, that, that was a, you know, a weird age, uh, still learning a lot. Uh, in that age, obviously, my brain wasn't formed all the way by any means by then, and I wasn't helping it form. No, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the uh, it's a lot easier looking back now and understanding the things that I learned and the things that I still, you know, I still pull from that. I still pull from that, those, those past experiences in order to kind of help guide me in the situations and the decisions that I need to make now. Uh, not necessarily so much with the fire service, but the just the life in general uh, especially uh, when it comes to my relationships now uh, with my wife now um, I never ever ever have tried or made uh, try to make the parallel to compare her to my past fiance but I have done a whole lot of comparing when it comes to how I treat her how we talk how we communicate uh, trying my best to never allow myself to sow seeds of doubt um, with her and stuff like that. And having that, don't get me wrong, we, we're, we're a married couple. We have two kids. We obviously have disagreements. Sure. We do on a daily basis, and it's okay. Uh, but just the understanding of that. You know, fighting when I was with my ex-fiance, just the, the, the fighting was either you're right or I'm right, and that's it. And I tried to do everything I could to make sure I was right. Uh, turns out that was a bit manipulative, you know, trying to taking her away from who she was as a person to make her fit the mold that I had the idea of what it should be like. Uh, and that's not reality. And, I mean, sure, other circumstances happened. I'm sure that helped contribute to, you know, her wanting to leave anyway. Um, she was being manipulated. She was being molded 
um, into something that wasn't her, which is fine. I mean, you know, it's a it's a life uh, it's a it's a thing that we probably should go through. Uh, I'm lucky, I guess. I've only had I can count on one hand the amount of relationships that I've had in my life when it comes to women. Uh, maybe I've had less than five girlfriends ever. <laughs> so that's crazy uh, to me. <laughs> um, so, I mean, you know, I've, I don't know. Uh, there was definitely, you know, seeing multiple women during that time period after her and then before my future or my, my wife now, uh, you know, I, 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 I was with a lot of women and spending time with a bunch of different women and, you know, stuff like that. It was a, the, the loneliness thing was not something that I was good with. Uh, you know, from basically my whole, adult life, uh, you know, I always had a female companion and that loneliness scared me. Uh, so there, you know, I was trying to mask that obviously. Um, you grew up in a household with sisters. Yeah. 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 I always had that, you know, that female companionship and then companionship and then not having that was, you know, it was not something I was fond of by any means. Uh, so, um, yeah, I used, other aspects to, to put into that void. So, yeah. In, uh, in the fire service side of it. Okay. Um, was there any other, um, did somebody end up being in that spot? Like, uh, like at that time, did anybody, I don't want to say take over. Nobody replaces the people that we lose. Right. But you end up, uh, as life goes on, we build relationships with different folks uh, did you have anybody else influential in you during that time from the fire service side or, or somebody that ended up, uh, being like a senior guy towards you or, uh, sure. Uh, the captain I had then was obviously very supportive and I looked up to him from the get go. Uh, so he, he kind of, he wasn't Lee by any means, Uh, by any stretch of the imagination was he Lee, but he was, he's very good. I mean, he was, he was top notch officer could definitely put him in the top 10 list of officers that I've ever met, known, or served with uh, very easily, if not even in the top five. Um, so he was great. Uh, he was wonderful. Um, very much helped me through that process, uh, even still today. We have a great relationship still today. Uh, he's not my officer anymore. I've since moved on, but we still have a fantastic relationship today. Uh, but also, I was quite a bit more mature in my fire service career by then. You know, Lee died 2009. Uh, you know, I, I'd had some time in. I started in 2005. So, you know, I had four years in uh, and then moved into a bigger department where I had some years in with the bigger department. So necessarily trying to find somebody that would feel what Lee was to me wasn't really at the forefront of, of my mind because I felt like that time of learning from Lee was, was gone. Um, and there was the things that he offered me outside of the fire service. Nobody was going to be able to fill that period. So, yeah. um, I wouldn't say a particular person necessarily stepped in and kind of, you know, became that mentor for me. I, I kind of, kind of just swung the boat around and started becoming that person myself. Uh, right ways and wrong ways. Obviously I had a lot to learn, but, um, I want. I wanted to be Lee for somebody else. Yeah, that makes sense um, to me. So you know, I started jumping in with both feet to everything I could for new firemen, uh, whether it be running PT for academies, 
helping with the onboarding process, start doing what I needed to do to be able to teach, uh, to be an instructor, that type of thing, because I wanted so desperately to be leave for somebody else. I knew the purpose that he served in my life, uh, even though it was a short period of time. Uh, I knew that purpose and what that meant. Uh, so I wanted to be that for somebody else. And just that wanting to serve, you know. I love my fire service. And, yeah, uh, yeah I, don't, I don't take kindly to people who look down on it. I don't take kindly to uh, – that's also Lee coming out. Um, <laughs> right. I don't take kindly to people who want to abuse it or, you know, use the fire service as a means for something other than what it was meant to be. Uh, so, you know, I don't – I'm protective, very protective. Uh, but at the same time, service is still at the forefront. You, you make it past my you make it past my fence. I'm here for you, bro. I mean, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you're I, more than welcome to anything that I own, but yeah. you got to make it past the fence. <laughs> yeah, I think so. I know that about you. Um, <laughs> when when I met you in the in 2010, um, there was a there was an abrasive front, you know, and uh, I don't know that I saw past that abrasive front. For a lot a of while. people don't. Yeah, uh, I think uh, like you're saying until you see that the, there's a little honor, a little respect toward the fire service, that abrasive front's going to be there. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. It's uh, We all have our ways, you know, and our, our unique personality traits. Uh, I remember... You can say ego. I mean, I, I get that thrown at me all the time about, you know, it's your ego. Um, your ego's larger than life. The story of Matthew Hoffman or the legacy of Matthew Hoffman <laughs> is, is bigger than Matthew Hoffman. It's yeah. like... You know, I, I don't mean for it to come across that way, but I hate that it's described that way, but it may be the truth. Um, and I'm okay with it. Yeah, I, I should. That. I should be softer sometimes, but I, I don't sometimes know. I should be harder. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, yeah. I just uh, wanted you to feel comfortable saying ego. Yeah, right. So. <laughs> uh, the um, uh, My Academy, you came out and helped with... Uh, uh, like like we were talking about, it was an academy run by the, the department. So on A shift days, you guys were close by, if not out there on the on the scene. Um, but you were to us almost unapproachable. You know, like you were this uh, this big uh, presence. You know, <laughs> and I remember uh, even I got on A shift. You know, I was right down the street from you guys sure. uh, when. You and uh, your crew, you ended up on truck 17, and you came by 11, kind of selling what the truck was going to do. I was with pipe hitters, too, though, then, man. You I sure mean, were. My crew was no joke. That was a stud crew. So, I mean, I had to be that guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Man, uh, I think you were still abrasive, but I was starting to see that it was work-related. It wasn't... I think I'm better than anybody else. It was just you are into the fire service and being good at your job. Uh, just just sharing this with you uh, from the outside. You know, I, I was green, green, green in 2010. Uh, it took until probably deep into 2011, so knowing you like a year and a half or two, to start realizing that uh, that I could talk to you. Uh, the... Uh, the developing of that relationship uh, was slow. Sure. But now hearing your story, it uh, it makes more sense, and I kind of respect it even more that 
uh, we earned respect for each other. You know what I mean? Sure. Yeah. Uh, I, and I just relate that. I think a lot of that comes from how I was brought into the fire service. You know, I was a nothing, nobody. Uh, I was a, a turkey farmer and a grocery bagger and a failed pizza maker. I mean, I was nothing, had no idea of the fire service before I came in. So that earning part, uh, and, you know, and then I was put into the fire academy where I was surrounded by guys whose stories were not like mine. Very few. They either had prior volunteer service, their family members were in service. I'm a first-generation fireman. Uh, Mom and dad did some kind of military service. I didn't have any of that that kind of structured, you know, that kind of, I don't know, that kind of rigid, uh, that kind of rigid set of lines to follow. Uh, so, you know, when I was brought into it, you know, I, I thought that's the way it was, and I need to be like that. Uh, right. You know, when new people come in, I have to be the people who brought me in. Uh, and I, I don't think it's a disservice by any means. Uh, I don't think so either. I think uh, I think there's a chance that the fire service is missing uh, what you're describing, that uh, that senior guy bringing in the rookie, and instead of focusing on uh, – beating that person down, share some tips and tricks sure. and um, share the culture, share the, uh, share the right things. Uh, I didn't, in the academy, they taught us some of the culture stuff, but I didn't really understand it until getting on the rig and then being around it some, you know. Uh, I wish it was so easy that you could just teach it. It's not, you know. For sure. It's uh, even still. Even still, if you could find some magical way to try to teach it uh, in a classroom setting, by the time the academy graduates and then the guys are thrown into the fire service, all they have is academy experience. They don't have firehouse. They don't have firehouse sense. They don't have firehouse etiquette. They don't yeah. know firehouse rules. The unspoken, unwritten rules of my beloved fire service. I mean, there are rules. And uh, to it's so weird to say now, but to us old guys – you know, who've been in the service for, you know, a decade or so now, uh, those rules still apply. And it's, it's a rigid thing that I think we're missing the buck in being not taking the opportunity to be a little bit softer. But I think it's the pendulum is swinging too far. Uh, the trash talk and the, the picking and the, the pranks and all that kind of stuff, you know, that's, that's part of what builds in your interview. We talked about that one-third thing. Uh, you know, you spend a third of your life with these people. In my case, I saw my brothers in the fire service more than I saw my grandparents. So, uh, you know, I, I'm around them more. And that's that's an, an important piece uh, because at the end of the day, when the rubber meets the road, if it was a bad situation, uh, there's no there's no room for there's no room for doubt in anybody's mind, uh, whether it be your officer or whether it be your own of, you know, well, he said something that that pissed me off or that offended me. Uh, so now when it's time to go to work and it's time to do something that, that shouldn't even be in the brain. Uh, that's, that's not a thing. And I think the holding of the grudges kind of would, you know, if you don't go through that, if you don't go through the, the, the nagging and all that kind of stuff, kind of that firehouse etiquette, if you don't go through that, I, I believe you don't understand that, that, you know, we, we talk junk to each other constantly. If we're yeah. talking, we're talking junk. And from the outside looking in, that doesn't look like a fun thing. But, you know, the guys who have been doing it, uh, when it's time to go to work, 
we don't talk junk to each other. I mean, we work seamlessly, uh, often finishing, often completing tasks not being asked to do. Uh, it's just you know your people inside and out, and yeah. talking trash is a way to do that. Yeah, it's and a then big, not a big only part. not a, not even only the trash talking, but the response to the trash talking um, is a is a big thing. Um, if I can talk trash to you, and then you can talk trash back to me, we're square. I mean, you know how it is. <laughs> I, I sure do. I also think there's a tactical benefit. So you uh, you run whatever car wreck or um, whatever run you want to describe as a good one or a bad one or whatever, when you get back to the firehouse, that ribbing is part of the uh, check, systems check. Sure. You know, how's everybody doing? Uh, and it's, we never identified it as it's that. Un, it's unspoken, unwritten. Absolutely. It's, but it's in the rules. That's right. It's yeah. a rule. It's yeah. <laughs> dark humor. It's a, I mean, it's a thing. Yeah. Uh, sure. Yep. I mean, uh, couldn't agree more. And your point of, uh, uh, the, the ribbing and the stuff, but when, when a call happens, fire, wreck, whatever, um, even, even people that you don't necessarily get along with when it's go time and it's work time, all that stuff uh, goes away. And that's another one of those default parts of the fire service that impresses me so often. Uh, in our department, the city county relations along about that 2012, 2013. Rocky. At Rocky. best. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, man, it was, uh, uh, you could call it competitive if you were going to be nice. It was a pissing contest. Yeah, it sure was. Uh, but during those times, there were structure fire responses and car wrecks where we were working. Uh, we had Rescue 18, Rescue 2, uh, the going back and forth, you know, very competitive. And from the outside looking in, you're like, these guys hate each other. <laughs> but we get on a wreck and work together. Sure you know, and get on a fire, work together, we might be talking cash shit to each other, but it, the work was getting done, and the work part of it didn't suffer any. It's, that's wild to me <laughs> that, uh, that two, two organizations, two crews that get along or don't get along, it doesn't matter when, it's, when the work, it's time to put down the work, get it done. But can you draw a correlation with how that stuff happens and then how, how you were brought up? I mean, you're lucky you got into it. I mean, you got it from me when you first started in the fire service, that abrasiveness, that kind of, you know, earn your way in type thing. Imagine that not being there. And you always put yourself as the person outside looking in, not ever the person in it. Right. Uh, I think if you get rid of it, you know, if you if you try to dumb it down, first off, the old guys are not going to let you dumb it down anyway. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's just not going to happen. But uh, it's an important thing. It's part. It's a big part of character building, uh, especially for firemen. It was for me. Huge. Uh, and just playing that role and blowing it up and taking it into life in general, not fire service specific. But the, uh, you know, the ability to, I was talking earlier, mentioned earlier about the communication part with my wife. I can communicate with my brothers at work before I got good at it easier with the guys at work than I could my own wife. And that's a problem to me. That's a problem. Uh, and I think it's a problem that probably a lot of firemen suffer with. Uh, but just learning how to communicate, you know, it's time to be serious. The firemen are serious. Uh, when it's not, they're not. Um, and it's just that easy. It's a flip of a switch. 
So being able to do that at home as well, you know, there's a time to be joking, but when there's a topic that needs to be discussed or there's an issue that your wife has with you or your significant other, your spouse has with you, you need to be receptive to that. You know, that's serious time. When it's over, we can go back to playing, uh, you know, and living in the bubble that everybody thinks we live in all the time. Right. So if there was a new, somebody new in the fire service, either in the academy or in that first year, any advice for that person? (laughs) uh sure um keep your head down do like you're asked don't complain question but don't complain uh questions never hurt anybody uh question all you want but don't complain you chose to be there nobody made you be a fireman Uh, and just hold on suck up every piece of knowledge that you possibly can Uh, because us old guys are phasing out i mean we're we're I mean, I'm over the hill in my career. So, I mean, we're leaving. Uh, and I, I, as of right now, I'm not great, greatly confident that what's replacing us is going to have that mentoring side that we all grew up in. So, yeah, uh, stick close to the old guys and uh, soak up all the information you can. Keep your head down, keep your mouth shut, and that's it. When you're given a task, complete the task. You don't have to understand it. You can go back and ask when it's over. Yeah. The reasoning. Um, Agreed. Uh, especially on the fire scene, if you're asked to do something, that's not the time to question it. Um, after when you get back, you know, no officer, no senior fireman is gonna is gonna look down on you because you asked a question. You know, if if you're if you're questioning a decision uh, approached in the right manner, it's it should happen. Yeah, questions are a good thing. Yes, absolutely. Yep, questioning. Yeah, is a different animal. <laughs> sure. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, if you... Uh, I hope that's good advice. <laughs> I, I feel like it is. Um, if you have if you have a question... I can add something else. Yeah, if, I if don't want to cut you off, but I can add something else. Okay. It's, a great, uh, it's a great quote. Um, I can't take credit for it, however I wish I could. Uh, try hard every day to not offend somebody. Try harder not to be offended. That's value. So, um, yeah, just understand... The uh, the jawing and the jabbing is man, that's part of a rite of passage. It, Stick with it long enough, keep your head down, don't get offended by it, and you'll be the one doing it. So <laughs> yeah, and seek out that uh, that senior. That's right. Yeah, the it might not be the most senior person around, but the one that's willing to share after a few questions, willing to share some tips and tricks, forcing doors, pulling hose, searching. Sure. You know the the ones that are talking about the real nuts and bolts ask the questions sure yeah. you can get a you can get a conversation going with a couple of questions and then sit back and listen that's right yeah <laughs> right do you have any heroes right now mm. uh, let's see well my father will always be my hero uh for sure hands down uh lee was a great mentor but he he will never be in comparison to my father uh the way he, he loves his family the way he loves his mo- my mother. Uh, you know, I still soak up things from him all the time. You know, not fire service related specifically, but just life in general. Uh, you know, he's he's just a wealth of incredible information, and sometimes it's completely nonverbal, uh, and that's good and bad. Uh, I've picked up a lot of things and apply a lot of things with my relationship and my children. Uh, you know. 
not as positive. I took things that he did that I see now as maybe not being the best approach and try to apply it differently. So, you know, we talked about the rod and stuff like that, the, uh, the positive disciplinary reinforcement, I guess you could say, but never the explanation of why was, uh, was uh, something that I can reflect by. Now, we acted this way because that's what we were told, not much of an explanation. So I just flipped that and carried it a little bit further. I believe in very much the physical discipline. Uh, it doesn't have to necessarily be spanking, but uh, I, I believe in that, that the physical and, you know, the uh, <laughs> physical labor allows you to reflect on things quite a bit. But the explanation of, of the reason that you're having, like my children, for example, why I'm having them do that, uh, it plays a big difference to me. I can see it in them. I can see when it clicks in their little brains, you know, when they, when something makes sense. Uh, whereas if you don't, to me, if you don't take the time to explain the why part, you never get to see that formulation happen. So you don't really, they're just not doing something because they fear the outcome. They fear daddy's wrath. Right. Uh, so how many kids do I have? Mm-hmm. Two. 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 Six year old boy and a two year old girl. She stays more disciplined than he does. <laughs> <laughs> now he's um he's getting to that age six you know where he wants to you know he wants to try to push his boundaries and try to you know try to push out and it's just things are different you know it's been the COVID thing and all that school's been tough it's a lot of it's a it's a lot on our children as well as us uh, you think you have it bad try flipping a six year old world's upside down or you know a seven year old eight year old ten year old uh, high schooler any of them try flipping that completely upside down uh, you know you have to be mindful of the, of their life too. What seems like a minute problem to you is everything Everything to them. So uh, kind of putting yourself, putting a little perspective on things. And I don't know that my father did that very well. Didn't really try to understand the perspective of both sides. It was just his upbringing. I mean, that's the way granddaddy was. I mean, it was uh, his way or no way. And this was the consequences if you chose to deviate. So, uh, Your family setting now, uh, how long have you guys been married? Don't get me lying. Forever. No. <laughs> um, let's see. We're, we got married in 2012. So we had a very, we dated for a year. There was about a nine-month period from my ex-fiance to when I met my wife, and we dated, and then we were married. So it seems super short, but uh, divine intervention, maybe, or whatever. Uh, you know, I had never met my wife prior to the absolute night that we met there was no previous history she knew nothing about me i knew nothing about her we were complete we were from two separate counties two separate school districts completely separate sets of friends uh she had a co-worker that was friends with my sister's husband and that's kind of how how it all got set up um where we met each other and she claims to this day uh might be ego talking here but she knew the night that we met that she was going to marry me whether that be good or bad, I don't know. Yeah, it's pretty um, powerful there. Yeah, yeah, she says that she knew that night uh, that, you know, she says it. She said, I knew first night I met you, you were going to be the man I married. So I don't know. Uh, like I said, you can call it divine intervention or the plan or whatever, uh, but it's working, working very well. Um, we're very much in love with each other. We have our problems. We have our ups and downs. We have our lack of communication, uh, but we're growing. Um I think we've taken the proper route and choose to take every conflict as a learning and growing opportunity versus fighting. There's men and women are different. So yeah. different. Um, how does she fight? 
how does she fight? Mm-hmm. Oh, she's dirty. She's a yeah. dirty fighter. Uh, I'm very much a fix-it person. Give mm-hmm. me a problem, I want to fix it. And it, it's that service mentality, that service mindset. You know, you could say you have a, a list of things that are stressing you out, and automatically I want to know those things. What are those things? Um, and then my brain puts them in list form and tries to figure out how I can fix it. Yeah. How can I fix this? How can I fix this? How can I fix this? And uh, sometimes that's not always the answer. Uh, there are things that you can't fix physically. Uh, there's, you know, there's, there's things that you just can't fix. It's just the way it is. Uh, and women need, I mean, women, women have the ability to pile on a whole lot more than us men. Uh, there's a great book. It's called uh, Women. Women are like spaghetti. Men are like waffles. Uh, so it's a great book, and it's very accurate. You know, men, we take things and compartmentalize them, and we handle one square like a waffle. We handle one square at a time, and we progress through the waffle, right? Yeah. Yeah. Women are like spaghetti. The noodles of spaghetti just everywhere. Yeah, but and, they still process and it. And they seem like they can just function seamlessly. Uh, a lot of that's biological. But, um, yeah, it's impressive, and you can't, you can't think you can step into their world and fix their problems uh, or what they see as problems. And, once again, just the perspective and understanding that, you know, what seems so dumb, so minute to you, is a big deal to somebody else. So just trying to understand that. And like I said, I still struggle with it big time because she'll be having a bad day and I want to know how to fix it. She doesn't deserve to ever have a bad day to me. Yeah. Every day should be perfect. So, um, yeah. So we've very much in love, very much moving forward, having a ball, uh, raising our kids together. You know, as a fireman, you know, gone for 24 hours and stuff like that. She's, uh, she's extremely strong. She was very independent, always has been. Uh, which was a problem earlier in our relationship because she needed me for nothing. And that's, a you know, I work a service career that people need me to do things. And right. my wife was like, nah, I can do that. My tire goes flat, I'll fix it myself. Or I'll go through the avenues to fix it, have it fixed. Uh, so that was, you know, trying to understand the roles and responsibilities. And I'm still learning that. I mean, we've been married for that long now. Um, or been together for that long now. So, I mean... Yeah, it's a learning. It's a learning thing. Can't ever stop learning. Yeah, I agree. Any moves coming up? Any moves? Yeah, you gonna be moving. Moving where? Anywhere. Moving, like physically moving? Yeah, the house you live in. Are you ever gonna move? Oh, my out? home, my yeah. family. Uh, no, absolutely not. We're in our forever home for sure, unless something bad happens. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that kind of fell into our lap once again. Her wonderful intuition. Uh, the day I took her up to it to see about renting it, uh, she was like, "Yeah." We'll probably live here the rest of our life. I was like, okay. Since we've added, added on renovate and stuff like that, but I don't know, man. A woman's intuition is crazy. Man, it's crazy. So, uh, yeah. So, no, I don't plan on moving. I'm not moving at all. She seems like she knows what she wants. She she does. We uh, we touched on it a second ago, uh, the fire service. Right now as a whole, not, not ours, not our department, mm-hmm. but just in general, uh, What are you, what's your hope for the fire service? Mm. I hope that we can, as the fire service in general, can find uh, can find some type of middle ground when it comes to how we're paid. I've never been one to complain about the money that I make to do the job that I do, uh, but it seems to be a, a never-ending issue, and a very, very, very big sense of friction between you know the department heads and whether you work in a municipality or for county commissioners or whatever, it always seems to be a friction point. 
I, I wish that that wasn't there. I believe in alleviating stress. Uh, the less stress you have, the more efficient you can be. So trying to alleviate that, you know, having some kind of standard versus shooting from the hip once a year or whatever it may be, some kind of, uh, some kind of standard or guideline to follow. And I understand that it's going to be different for every area that, you know, people live, cost of living, things are different. But still maybe having some kind of, some kind of standard that, you know, just because you fall into this category, okay, so we can plug you in over here and you're going to be able to see how you can progress and how you can, you know, how you can rise through the ranks if that's what you choose to do. But just having a, the military is great at it. Why are we so garbage at it? The, um, the military, you know, they, they got it down. I mean, their, their rank structure is, they got it. I mean, there's things set in place. When you get promoted to this, you make this, or, you know, uh, this is in your, in your, this is in your 10 year plan. You have to make this position within 10 years. Uh, so I guess more structure as far as the pay and stuff goes, this mental health thing really scares me. That seems to be a big national push right now. Mm-hmm if not worldly, globally now. But uh, that scares me a little bit uh, with the whole mental health thing. And that's probably a topic and a podcast all in itself. Uh, I appreciate the attention to it. But I've dealt with a lot of death in my in my time. Uh, several, I mean, <laughs> that could be a podcast too of, uh, you know, death experiences. But I've had piles of, uh, piles of friends, piles of coworkers, uh, people in the same job as we do. That, you know, as you get older, people start dying. And, you know, uh, so a lot of death. And that's not necessarily call-related deaths. But, you know, just people that you know, friends. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I've dealt with a lot with that. Um, I believe in providing a healthy outlet for them, but not necessarily pushing the narrative of, because you're in my fire service, you have a problem. Sure. Um, I don't believe you have a problem until you have a problem. And if you're constantly being told that you have a problem when you don't necessarily know that you have a problem, uh, I believe that it does the opposite. Whereas you used to be scared to admit that you had a problem. Now you're scared to say you don't. Right. Uh, so it's like the pendulum, you know, it's kind of, that's, I think that's what scares me. It's, uh, almost breeding this kind of victim, kind of victim culture within the fire service. Whereas if you don't have PTSD or you don't, suffer from something that you're an outcast there's something wrong you're wrong or you're you're not admitting it you know you're not dealing with it um so i have a different kind of perspective on that i feel like it may be pushing the uh kind of wanting us to be a little more in touch with our inner feelings than maybe we need to be i think that's necessary for some folks but for some folks it's not Uh, so i don't know maybe softer firemen Soft firemen terrify me. Yeah. Because I can tell you my wife, she is um she's a firecracker. And if something happens to me and it's the fault of a soft fireman, I feel really sorry for that guy. Right. Yeah. <laughs> really sorry. Uh and I think that's a lot of things that people don't understand. They don't you know, whether it be taking promotions or something like that, not understanding the full responsibility of of the decisions that are going to be had, they're going to, they're going to be forced to make and they're going to be expected to make and the possible consequences that could come with that. Along those lines of the mental health thing, um, hearing you talk about it kind of made me think that uh, part of my fear in that, you know how everybody says we're a data-driven organization or sure. a, a service, you know. Uh, 
like you said, there has been a lot of statistics coming up, and it worries me that uh, that finding like this first answer to try to change some of those numbers might not be the best. You know, I, I think a problem gets presented. We're firemen. We want to solve a problem. Absolutely. So you find a, a short answer. It's like, well, let's start implementing that. I believe the just if we want to get into the mental health side of things, we need to you need to understand that no matter what your feeling is, you're not alone in that way that you feel. Whether it's you feel nothing when it comes to death, or you feel the emotional weight of the world when you experience death, that any one of those things is not wrong, or anything in between is not wrong. Uh, you're not going to be chastised for feeling one way or the other. Uh, but just understanding that, I mean, like I said, I viewed death way different. Uh, I'm terrible at it. <laughs> I'm right. not good at it. Uh, my wife's father just died. And, I mean, I told her, I was like, you're going to have, I know this is not what you want to hear, but you're going to have to tell me how to act for you because I don't know. I'm not good at this. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm not good at, being empathetic when it comes to death because I don't know if it's where I've seen it or where I've just chose to be callous by it. And that's just the default. And that's what I do, but I am willing to serve. If you say, I need you to cry your eyes out right now in order to make me feel better. I'm going to find some emotion somewhere deep down right. and I'm going to do it. Uh, but those feelings aren't natural to me. Um, or if it's just a fact that I understand that a hundred percent of people die and when it's time to die, that's it. I mean, yeah. I don't want anybody crying over me. Right. <laughs> uh, primary complete. Ooh. Greatest show on the planet. Yeah. Do you, uh, <laughs> what are your goals here? What are, what are you looking to see happen? Fun and education. I have a serious desire to educate, which most people who know me know that about me. I'm very much involved in, in teaching numerous different things. Uh, but the education, as well as the fun, the uh, the ability to take the firehouse conversation to where somebody can have that anytime they want it. You know, I think that's a very therapeutic thing uh, for a lot of folks. So uh, I don't know, man. I want to kind of generic, generically let it see where it goes, organically let it grow, and uh, I want to help as many people as I possibly can uh, through the through what little bit of knowledge that I've can share and then just through stories uh the ability for somebody just to tell a story is very very therapeutic uh i don't know how long we've been going today but i feel like i've been talking for five minutes right and there's things that i've discussed that i've never discussed with anybody uh you can just try to discuss them with somebody from the outside but it's not the same uh it's not the same as you know the connection you have with somebody who kind of understands yeah, uh, telling a story is the most primitive form of sharing information. Sure. You know, and I work. think there's a lot of stories out there, and there's a lot of stories who can uh, people can benefit from hearing. Um, that whole mental health thing we were t- discussing with, uh, understanding that no matter which side of the line you fall on, you're not the only one on the side of the line. Uh, and there's always come out stories. There's always, you know, there's always brighter day stories. Um it doesn't have to be the end of the line for anybody. Uh, there's always ways to climb back. And just uh, being able to provide that information to people uh, with just a click of a button is um, it's a great opportunity. Thank you for sharing. Absolutely. I learned some stuff about you today. I uh, hope they were good things. 
Yeah, good things and, and things that explain uh, your motives. Sure. Um, I'm a big guy, a, a big fan of knowing somebody's motives, and uh, it helps to know where somebody's coming from. So uh, thanks for sharing. No problem. All right, well, let's get out of here. All right, have a good one. Yep.